Welcome to another edition of Flea Market Fantasy, the world's second greatest Bronze Age era comic book podcast. Joining me as always is new Mike L. Kevin Jank. I am here, and by the end of this hour, you will be my demon bride. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Jank, why don't you tell the kids what we're reading today? Uh, today we're going to be reading Kazar the Savage, number 12, from 1983, was it? 82, 82. I believe. But, March yeah. of 1982. Hazar the Savage, basically he's Tarzan, and he's got a little uh, saber tooth. Yeah, body. he's also kind of yeah, he's he's Tarzan, but he looks more like He Man. He's even got the same like page boy haircut back at least at this time. We've been doing this show for four years, never encountered Kazar yet. Is that why you uh, picked this? Yeah, I would say that's the main reason. You know, we, we did Shanna the She Devil not long ago, so yeah, I'm a big fan of Shanna. Her, uh, yeah. yeah, her uh, <laughs> her boy toy there, Kazar. Yeah, I remember Shana was fighting that, uh, that mandrel guy, the monkey guy. That was yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So before we get into the Kazar the Savage. Shana always fighting people that are trying to like take advantage of her against her will. Is that really what was mandrel. going on? Uh, yeah. I remember mandrels like he would hypnotize the ladies. Oh, oh yeah. And I was thinking, well, when else did it happen? Oh, in this issue right here we're reading today. <laughs> yeah, this one right here. Happened in this one. I forgot already. The two appearances of Shannon we've read so far. We're two for two. Uh, All right. So before we get into the book, let's remind everybody, if you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe. We have 101 subscribers, Jank. We did it. We cracked 100. Uh, I didn't think it would ever happen. Yeah. (laughs) 900 more, and we'll be in business. Uh, Yeah. Let's go rally the flea army. But thanks to everyone who uh, subscribed. Now, I don't Absolutely. know. They they don't always tell me, like, uh, who subscribed and everything. So I don't know who exactly the 100th subscriber was. But the moment we find out, Jank will take you to dinner. Yep, we'll get our our track team on it. So we'll figure it out. But yeah, 100 subscribers, Jank. Oh, what a, what a ride it's been. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most of that was this year. <laughs> the show's been Oh, yeah, it, it was in the last couple of years. And then, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> We're really making an effort here. Again, <laughs> just 900 more. See, up until this point, the flea army has been voluntary, but now I think we might need to put in Ooh, a draft. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if you're a subscriber. Really, and every person in America now has to spend a year as a subscriber to this podcast. <laughs> yes, reading terrible comic books. <laughs> I think that's really the only way we'll get to a thousand. But, uh, hey, every little bit helps. You know, every little bit helps. But anyway. Uh, all right, let's get into this book, Kazar the Savage. Kazar's had a bunch of series, but uh, this is Kazar the Savage from the early yeah. 80s. Yeah, that's how you know it's good. It's the Savage. Yeah. Savage. Way better than regular Kazar. Now, the first Kazar, he was he was in the Golden Age, and uh, he was David Rand, and his first huh. appearance was Pulp Magazine Kazar Issue 1, 1936, created by Bob Bird. So Kazar dates all the way back to 1936. How about that, Jim? Huh. David Durant, that's, that's very Iron Fist ass. I know, that's what I thought when I read it too. <laughs> uh, then uh, writer artist Ben Thompson adapted the character for Marvel Comics 1 in 1939. And the original Kazar, his backstory is that uh, he was on a plane with his family and it crashed in the Congo jungle. His mother died and he was raised by his crazy father in the jungle because his father had lost his mind. Then his dad died, I think, and... Uh, one day he rescued a lion named Czar from quicksand and they became chums 
and defenders of the jungle. So the name Kazar meant brother of Zar because Zar was the lion. Oh, okay. So sometimes people call me uh, K Jank, brother of Jank. <laughs> but this, the, the Kazar we're reading today is Kevin Plunder, and mm-hmm. he he first appeared in the X Men issue 10, 1965, created yeah. by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And they drew inspiration from not only the first Kazar character in Tarzan, but also Tor, a caveman character created by Joe Kubert. And Stan Lee said he never re- even read any of the original Kazar stories. His first solo story was in Marvel Superheroes 19, 1969. And then he had features in uh, Savage Tales. I didn't even know that was a book. And Astonishing Tales. All told, he's had five self-titled series. The first was published in 1970, 71. And lasted just three issues. Uh, they were mostly reprints, though, so it really wasn't a series. But oh, okay. The second series ran from 1974 to 77, and that lasted 20 issues. The third series, Kazar the Savage, ran from 1981 yeah. to 1984, a span of 34 issues. So at least I'll be able to do a top 11 Kazar covers shortly, <laughs> because there's at least just 34. Enough, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the fourth series was a 1997-98 and lasted 20 issues. And then the recently fifth, read a good chunk of that one. Oh, awesome, uh, Andy Kubert art on that one. So ah, Kubert. Uh, yeah. Hey, look at that. Their, their daddy created Tor the caveman. Yeah. He's really, yeah. Uh, the fourth series or the fifth series was a five issue miniseries in 2011. I think so, I missed that one somehow. I feel like I was reading everything Marvel put out at the time. Somehow missed that. Yeah. yeah it's a real, it's a real mystery why you missed Kazar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Has there been any talk of them bringing Kazar into, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, you know what? I don't think so. This seems like it would be ideal for, like, a one of them Disney Plus shows or whatever series. Totally. I want to say maybe during, like, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness when he he's kind of fallen through different realities. There's one where, like, uh, you can almost see what looks like the Savage Land or something like that. Uh, yeah. There might have been a dinosaur, so it's like. I think that was the only thing they've done that even remotely hints at Kazar in the Savage Land. But, yeah, I mean, the Savage Land would be great to explore. So Kevin Plunder was born in Castle Plunder in Kentish Town, London, England. He is mm-hmm. the eldest son of Lord Robert Plunder, who discovered the Savage Land. And uh, he brought back samples of anti-metal or Antarctic vibranium. This mysterious metal had the ability to produce vibrations at liquefied metals. I guess people wanted to get that, you know, metal off him. And uh, so he had some enemies there and he went back to the Savage Land. And I think he took his uh, wife and then little Kevin or whatever. Or is his wife already dead at this point? I'm getting wife confused. might have already been dead. I think he just he brought Kevin and he left the other son, Parnival, back home with like the butler. The butler was kind of a shady guy. <laughs> Why would you do <laughs> that? Like, I don't know. Like he's splitting up his resources, I guess. Like he didn't want to put all of his children in one basket in case, you know, the Savage Land kills his son. Like at least he's got one out there, I guess. Yeah, I, I forgot about this, but doesn't his brother become a bad guy at some yeah. point? Or? Yeah, he becomes a villain. He was a big part of that, that 97 series that I read. He like, he becomes kind of the opposite where he's very tech heavy. You know, like Kazar is obviously very savage and very primitive when and this guy's full on tech head. Did he have a, a nickname or is he just? I think he just went by Plunder, which yeah, is, you know, I, evil enough. Yeah, it's a pretty <laughs> good name. Yeah. It's it's very similar to like, I think it was Loot and Plunder from like Captain Planet. They just sound like bad guys. Yeah. You're like, oh, like, 
You lost me with the Captain Planet reference. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on there. Yeah, sadly, that was part of my childhood. Not a proud part, but. <laughs> so this Lord Robert Plunder, he took Kevin with him to the Savage Land again. And when he was there, he got murdered by a bunch of man-apes. <laughs> One of the inhabitants of the Savage Land. man-apes. <laughs> so Kevin was raised by Zabu, the saber-toothed tiger. Yeah. And in this uh, in this version of the character, Kazar now means son of the tiger. Oh, I like that better. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I yeah, like brother better, but uh, but you can't call him Kazabu, brother of Zabu. No, no, no. He's son of lion or tiger, I guess. Tiger. <laughs> yeah, and Zabu's a big saber tooth tiger guy. Yeah, he is big orange saber tooth tiger. And uh, we mentioned the Savage Land. That's where all this takes place. The first appearance was actually in Marvel Mystery Comics issue 22 from 1941, and the story was called Core the Black Sorcerer, and it was written by Joe Simon, and uh, I think Jack Kirby and Sid Shores were on the art there. It was actually called The Land Where Time Stands Still. That was the original name of the Savage Land. A little that's wordy. I can see why they shortened it. That's what I also called my hometown of Greensburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and it gained its uh, normal name in X-Men issue 10, uh, again by Stanley and Jack Kirby. So that's the first Savage Land, actually. Now, do you know the origin of the Savage Land? Huh. Um, I feel like I heard it at some point, but I could not tell you now, no. I just thought it was some natural uh, occurring thing where just, uh, for those who don't know, it's down in Antarctica. And it's yeah. just in a little pocket area. Where every it's like prehistoric back there were dinosaurs and whatnot and super uh, warm for some yeah even though it's in the middle of Antarctica it's all well there's a reason why it's super warm I guess the origin is that uh, you know the Beyonder fella yeah Uh, there's like a race of them called the Beyonders and they wanted to study evolution so they got some little alien race I can't remember the name of the alien race begins with an N and that's good that's all you need to know and they basically I think there's an H and a U in it, too. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, this is one of those things I should have looked up. But yeah, what are you going to do? So anyway, they uh, these little aliens, they created this area down in Antarctica, and they had these they had this, these special machines, uh, you know, alien technology that made the climate, you know, all tropical or whatnot. And uh, so it's like a jungle down there. And mm-hmm. it, the idea was to study evolution of various species over the years in a controlled setting like that. And that's how we got the Savage Land. I had no idea. I had no idea it was alien related. Yeah. I think I think I knew that somewhere along the line. I knew that at one point it got destroyed and the high evolutionary brought it back during evolutionary yeah. war. Then the X Men had a thing where they were down in the Savage Land with the high evolution. That was their annual, right? Yeah. Yep, there was. And you mentioned Shanna earlier. Yeah, Shanna uh, she becomes uh Kazar's wife, right? They get married. Yep. They have a little that's baby nice. boy named Matthew at some point. And I think oh, I was, was kind of mad about that once he realized that she dated Matt Murdock. It's like, wait, oh, is that what? wait a minute. What? <laughs> First of all, I didn't know Daredevil dated Shauna the Shido. Yeah. Big Daredevil guy. I didn't, when did that happen? Uh, I'm not sure. I think, I think there may have even been a brief, like, date or two between her and Peter Parker. Like, she was getting around <laughs> back in the day. But how about Daredevil, man? Uh, Electra and Shauna. He's Black uh, Widow. Typhoid Mary. <laughs> yeah. Karen so, Page. I mean, all kind of <laughs> other non-powered people. 
Yeah, well, but what are the odds that two uh, like jungle-based characters will find love? Oh, good on you guys. <laughs> All right, so the villain in this issue is Belasco. Yeah. And, uh, we talked about him not too long ago. What, what book did we do? Uh, we did the Exterminators, and it had to do with uh, yes. Limbo and you know yes. the Inferno event, which uh, he's a big part of Limbo. Uh, I know you, you and uh, I think Mike L and Brandon did that Storm and uh, Magic series. Yes, that's where we really talked about Belasco, I think. Yeah. But uh, just to remind everybody, uh, it, Belasco's first appearance was Kazar the Savage issue eleven. So yeah, before this, pretty crazy because you think of him as an X Men kind of villain or whatever because of magic. But no, he started out with Kazar. And he was created yeah, by Bruce. Not even any talk of Limbo in this issue either. No. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's he been got losing. his history or his backstory gets evolved over the years. Uh, but Bruce Jones and Brent Anderson and their creators, they're also the creators of the book we're reading today. And Blasco was a sorcerer in 13th century Florence, Italy. He used alchemy and the black arts to conduct extra dimensional demonic entities known as the Elder Gods. And he helped them enter our world. And they rewarded him with immortality and mystical powers. Spoiler alert, his defeat in this issue is how he ends up in limbo. Ah. Uh, we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, so this, that's how we get to limbo. But yeah, Belasco, he's the, he's the, he was the ruler of limbo and he abducted Ileana Rasputin and turned her into magic, the little sorcerer girl. So uh, yeah, raised her there for years. And this Belasco seems like a real creep. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he did to her down there, but yeah. Seems like a creep. All right, let's take a look at the cover, Jack. Why don't you describe it for us? Okay, so we got the, uh, it's kind of abbreviated corner box there. No no picture of Kazar or anything. Just the Marvel Comics group and then like a diamond that says 75 cents. And uh, Yeah, I don't like that. I want to see the co- little corner yeah. box. I guess they're trying to make it a classier. But, uh, yeah, yeah it, it's kind of missing a little pizzazz, I would say. <laughs> yes. um, Is this like the UK version or? Uh, I don't know. Because there's a UK 30 pence up there. Like, that was never in my... Uh, oh, maybe. Interesting. But then it says Kazar the Savage. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's an okay font style. Nothing nothing too fancy. They didn't really try too hard for Kazar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They did it all right. It's very He-Man-esque again, the, the font and the letter, yes. I think. <laughs> yes. And, uh, With the hyphen... K's are, it's very He-Man. It's bright red. And then the Savage underneath it, they did a little, uh, some lines in there to make it look like weathered or something, or? Yeah, I feel like they tried a little more on the Savage. They gave it a little <laughs> yeah. But, uh, then we get, uh, there's like a rocky, you know, kind of ground, and there's like some boiling lava, but it's like blue. <laughs> yeah, they probably missed on that, right? Yeah, <laughs> must have thought it was water, but. Yeah. So it's, it's very blue heavy. And uh, then we got Blasco standing there, raising his one arm triumphantly, holding up one of his bloodstones. He's got Shauna next to him, dressed like a, some kind of a nun, almost. Uh, she's very, uh, you know, covered and <laughs> not like her usual self, where she's just wearing that, that leopard bikini. Um, she's very nunned up, I would say. <laughs> and <up>. uh, <laughs> we got a winged green guy uh, kind of hung up. Kind of looking half dead. He's nailed to a cross, essentially. Again, he's also very He-Man-esque looking. He's even got like the kind of loincloth uh, with the giant belt. It's yeah. a very He-Man look. Um, and then we got Kazar, our hero, just sleeping in the in the foreground, <laughs> just laying on the ground, knocked out, taking a nap. 
Yeah, the action Kazar. pose you always wanted for Kazar. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of laying like a centerfold with like one arm back. <laughs> kind of just a look of ecstasy on his face. <laughs> so this is uh, Brent Anderson on the art here. Yeah, I think the art's fine. Uh, yeah, I wonder about that water there. That should be lava, right? Like if we're looking. Yeah, at I mean, it could be boiling water, I suppose. Like maybe he's just so evil, he's making the water boil. <laughs> Some like natural that. spring. But I think in the story, isn't there like they're underground in this cavern and stuff? Wasn't there like a lava thing? Or yeah, anything? I think they definitely mentioned lava in the story. So that's mm-hmm. what makes me think that it, it should have been lava. And you mentioned the bloodstone that he's holding up. Now, is this the same, like, bloodstone, like Elsa bloodstone and all that? Like, these kind of bloodstones? Uh, I don't think so, but I think these are the same bloodstones that he's always after. Like, he was always trying to do this, the same thing with the five bloodstones, and it seemed like he could just never get the last one in there. <laughs> kind of like Thanos in the, uh, yeah. in the gems. But, but yeah, the idea is he wants these uh, five bloodstones to put in this uh, amulet that has, like, a pentagram design in it, and if he gets all the bloodstones in there, he can call those elder gods into our world. Those yeah. old demons and whatnot. In this issue, the whole plot is he's trying to, uh, he brainwashed Ashana and he's going to marry her. She found the amulet that he needs or something or somehow, I don't know. Or something yeah, I think that's why. <laughs> or just because, you know, his old wife is dead. So he, he wants a new hot lady and you happen to find one. <laughs> yeah, he kidnapped a lady before and, uh, and raped her and impregnated yeah. her. And then she died during childbirth. And she gave birth to, like, just a demon, right? Just demons and stuff? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I think they mentioned that later on, what what exactly the spawns were. I don't know if those are those demons they're fighting later on. Like, those are all just kind of that same lineage. I think so. And, and a lot of this uh, goes back to uh, the Divine Comedy, too. The, the uh, you know, yeah. uh, Dante's Inferno. So this is very literary, this issue. Uh, it's very so strange. Really, I mean, they say Belasco's first appearance is KSR number 11, but it could be. It really should be the divine comedy. Yeah, they kind of intertwine the two origin stories. All right, Jenks, then when you open the book, we just get a big shot of Belasco. Very unusual looking fellow. He kind of looks like a classic devil guy, you know, like a Mephisto. But on his head, he's got two knobs like on his forehead. Like they were trying to be horns, but they somebody burned them off before they grew like you do with a goat sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, like he sanded them down into little balls on his forehead. It's an yeah. unusual look. All right, so then uh, we turn the page and we see Belasco is uh, talking. Here. He's got Kazar. Kazar the savage there. Kazar's got his back to us right away. Again, not a fan of that. The first time you see your hero and his back to you. I don't know. I think you want to do something. Well, they're, they're promoting the villain here. This Belasco fella, he's very tall and thin. Well, he's, he's been frozen for so long. His body's probably just been, you know, eating off whatever fat he had. <laughs> yeah, he was frozen in a big block of ice or something. Because yeah. uh, they're they're down in the uh, underground here in uh, the Savage Land, and apparently there's plumbing down there. And he well, cracked. Are they even in the Savage Land now? I think there is somewhere else. Oh really? Like I, I mentioned, uh, down in an underground cavern or something. Kazar, uh, mere months ago, Kazar had discovered a subtropical paradise called Pangea, nestled amidst the Antarctic wastes. He and Shana, along with the saber-toothed cat Zabu had explored a small portion of this vast outpost built by the ancient Atlanteans. So this is yeah. like some other, uh, you know. No, I, I think, uh, I think in Antarctica that's also, it just happens to be there. I think it's, that's still Savage Land. Because the, the, the Savage Land's uh, origin story about the Beyonders and the aliens, the, the Atlanteans also come into it, and I didn't mm. uh, do that part of it. 
but they uh, came yeah, in. Yeah, but they, he's, he's lived there most of his life, so he didn't just discover that months ago. This might, I mean, this may be just some other suburb of the yeah, Spanish land they didn't realize it was there, but yeah. I think that's what it is. Like, it's a different little area of the Savage Land, but yeah. I think overall it's still the Savage Land. It's like but, the, uh, the west side. Yeah, we've never been over here. <laughs> the bad side of the tracks. Don't go over there. But, but they're underground, too. They're, like, in some maze underground or something. I don't know. It's all weird. Kind of weird stuff over there. It seems like this the race of people with the wings, like, it seems like they're from this area. So there's all kind of different things going on over here than happen in the normal Savage Land we're used to, I guess. Yeah, there's also a robot guy. I don't know yeah. what he is. You, know, you seem very excited about the robot guy. I was not. I mean, the robot guy had a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. I don't know. Not a fan because he looks like a normal dude in like a toga, you know, or, a, or yeah. an office. He doesn't look like a robot. And then, uh, and he's got a, a goofy little haircut. He kind of looks like Steve Gutenberg if he was like a robot. <laughs> so, that's all you saw. So I wasn't I mean, excited about. More reason to make a Kazar movie. We can bring back Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> But, uh, what's his face? Belasco, he's standing on his throne there, and he's got Shauna by his side. And he's like, hey, I'm going to marry Shauna. And, uh, Kazar's like, hey, you, you devil, you, you brainwashed her, you know? And, and Kazar jumps yeah, at him. Brainwashed your, your bird friend there, and even the robot somehow. Even though he's a robot and immune to mind control, I still just reprogrammed him. <laughs> Cause I, like Polly in Rocky Four, I'm just really good at robotics as well. And, uh, we should mention Kazar. He's not the brightest fellow. That's why they combined him with the, the tour guy, the old caveman character, because I guess he speaks in broken English and stuff. And, uh, you know, he's kind of like a caveman, too. So when, when he's jumping at Belasco, the rope grabs his arm so you can't stab him with the knife or whatever. But now they're they're out of his throne room and they're into like a uh, again, they're all underground. But there's like a ca- uh, cliff underground and they get to the edge of the cliff. And he's like, hey, I want to show you where your bird friend is, you know. <laughs> and uh, what, what are they going to do with the bird guy, Jack? Uh, they basically have him hooked up to a cross. It doesn't appear to be nailed to it. More so, they just have weird metal like manacles holding up the wings of him. And uh, yeah, he's just kind of there, and he's making him sing. Like he's like, "Yeah, I got this guy mind control too. Watch me make him whistle." He does, and Kazar is not happy about that. And then uh, Belasco snaps his finger, and all his little demon buddies come out of the uh, caverns there, and they all got bows and arrows. And he's yeah. like, "All right." I'm going to release the bird now. And the bird guy, they release him from the cross, and he goes uh, flying up into the air, and all the demons just start unleashing their arrows on him. You know? Yeah. You know, <laughs> target practice. This started out very dark. Yeah. It, uh... yeah. Kazar headbutts the ribbit guy, he frees himself, and he, he jumps into the demons and knocks them down. It's just weird seeing demons with bows and arrows. It's a little strange. But, uh, <laughs> a Two more melee weapon guys in your head. <laughs> Maybe switchblades. Yeah, but <laughs> so the bird guy gets uh, shot out of the sky and he goes crashing down into something. Oh, but look, there's Zabu. Zabu's yeah. lurking in the shadows. shadows. Yeah. Kazar lunges at Belasco with his knife. And Belasco already told him once, you know, you can't hurt me with your knife. I'm like a mortal <laughs> or whatever. But uh, again, Kazar's not the smartest fellow, so he tries it again. And well, what are you going to do? Like, you can't just let him. I'm like, all right, I guess you could have Shauna. <laughs> I only know. have one weapon here. Well Either that or just try to box him. Maybe use your uh, use your smarts, you know? But I guess he's a dumb fellow. He can't. <laughs> but he jumps to Blasco. The, the dialogue here is pretty rough from Bruce Jones uh, sometimes. Like, uh, um, Yeah. I mean, some no, of the dialogue was I thought the, uh, the, the word box is like the, uh, the prose was a little bit better, I thought. 
But he's like, no, thank you, my friend. I have a knife. I don't need one. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you, on the other hand, appear to be uh, rather in need of some artificial assistance. This Belasco has got a prehensile tail as well. Mm, yeah, like Nightcrawler. It <laughs> shoots out and starts choking. Okay, sorry. That's got to be humiliating, being choked by a fella's tail. That can't be good. Yeah, you don't want that. You don't know where that tail's been. <laughs> and then he's got his robot guy there. And he tells, hey, I want to show you how uh, how powerful my mind control is, even over this filthy robot. And uh, what happens to the robot, Jack? Oh, this was great. He's like, I wonder if you'd be so kind, Dirk, as to open yourself completely to us. Uh, you may begin with the chest cavity. And Kazar's like, no, Dirk, don't listen to him. But too late. <laughs> Dirk's doing it. He just rips his own chest off, revealing just, you know, the robot parts beneath. And then he's like, well, here goes my arm, rips that off. And uh, then he starts pulling his legs off him. They could say that they're uh, yanking the legs from the trunk with destructive precision. <laughs> and uh, then he, like, uses the other arm to, like, pull off his other arm somehow. And then the arms, the detached arms are both kind of still operating as just, you know, freestanding robot pieces. And they pull his head off. And, yeah, it's basically just a full page of six boxes of him just pulling himself apart. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. great. That poor robot. So then we get a big splash page of, uh, this is pretty cool, of Belasco, his face in the middle. And uh, he's basically telling his backstory about mm-hmm. his search for the bloodstones and putting him into the pentagram because he wants to call those old gods back. And how he's going to, his first uh, lady was Beatrice, who was mentioned in the Divine Comedy. Love it. Yeah. Old Dante's Inferno. What, what was Dante, uh, what's his name? How... Uh, Algeri, uh, Algeri, Algeri, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I never read the Divine Comedy, but basically, uh, it's a three-act uh, epic poem, and in one of them, it's called Dante's Inferno. He goes into hell, the depths of hell, you know. So I guess Belasco is basically like demon down there in uh, the depths of hell, and he's still Beatrice. It took longer to write that epic poem or Cousin Brandon's book. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe cousin Brandon's, yeah. <laughs> I want. Do you think he's still working on another one? Or, probably not. Huh? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good. But uh, so Belasco, Beatrice, she was a guide. She wasn't really in the uh, Dante's Inferno. I don't believe she was in the the third act, the uh, one where uh, about uh, what was that called? Uh, I don't know about he- Paradise, Paradiso. I believe it was called, right? Oh. Again, never read. I'm not one for epic poems. Yeah. Uh, I like light poems. Yeah. Like, d- dirty <laughs> limericks. Yeah, exactly. I'm really into epic yeah, poems. I, I Interesting bit about this page, though. Uh, they just show Belasco taking Beatrice down. She's pregnant and down into the, the caverns or whatever. And they show old uh, Dante there because he came down to try and rescue. And, you know, this Dante, he's the guy who wrote the Divine Comedy. They just took him and made him a character in this story. <laughs> yeah. right. It's just pretty cool, I guess. I mean, it's, it's a total trademark. I guess there's no trademark on that. It's so long ago. But <laughs> All right, so we're looking at this page. Do you see the, the panel there on the left of the demon in red ink? In the white yeah. background? Looks yeah. awesome, right? Well, here's mm-hmm. the problem with that. When they first released the book, uh, that panel was dropped out, I guess. So it was just a white box. And like there's a, there's a printing mishap. And so then they had to go back in and they, they put in that red demon who looks awesome. But I guess those are. That's why they had to get the British version for this comic. Oh, book maybe. 
Just but uh, so those original issues are collector's items, though. If you can get them, they uh, probably the most valuable Kazar comic. I want to go on a limb because I can't <laughs> imagine Kazar is very valuable. <laughs> but you never know. So what if you got that and then drew in your own demon? That- <laughs> yeah, draw your own demon. Yeah, that's a good gimmick. <laughs> So they show uh, Dante Algieri. They're uh, trying to, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Algieri, Algieri I think, Algieri. Uh, but anyway, they, he's trying to he say. He kind of looks uh, like the old woman, like the old gypsy woman from, uh, like, you know, the old werewolf movies. <laughs> Apparently this is what Dante looks like. <laughs> so he's trying to save Beatrice, and he gets in a sword fight with old uh, Velasco. And as we mentioned earlier, wherever they are, there's uh, apparently pipes, <laughs> and they accidentally hit, like, some coolant out of this pipe and it's <laughs> the air conditioning system and it freezes Velasco. Yeah. That's odd, right? You're in, yeah, you're in some underground cave and there's just a, <laughs> you know, liquid you nitrogen the, tube you going. the plumbing down there? And this, <laughs> this demonic underground hell cave. I gotta wonder if that was a part of the uh, the inferno there. <laughs> no, no, that was not. That was not Dante's inferno. Oh, they're taking some license. But I like these pages here in the sequence. We get like they're really uh, cool layouts and uh, just big Belasco faces. And uh, yeah. we see Shauna down there. And I think, he shows. Uh, I was looking at the issue number 11, his actual first appearance. And it seems like that's mostly what they did in that issue, too, was like somebody was telling Kazar this story already. So it's like oh. they're just recapping his origin already. <laughs> I mean, there's maybe a little bit of new information here, but that's mostly a gimmick. it seems like, yeah, he loves Every talking time about that. Every time Velasco shows up, he has to tell you his origin. So he lifts off the amulet. It's it's hanging around uh, Shauna's neck there. And he's like, say, hey, you know, see, this is what we're after here. And he's like, hey, demons, take them. And all these demons jump on Kazar. I got to say, Kazar, really not too impressive until the end he comes through. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he's just held prisoner by robots, beaten up by demons, uh, smacked around. And they knock him out. And then uh, old Velasco says, take him to the freezing chamber. Uh-oh. <laughs> I guess the same guys that put in the piping put in the freezing chamber. Yeah. And it all makes sense now. <laughs> take, this reminds me of like the Brady Bunch when they get locked in the freezer, you know? And, uh, yeah. Flashback to the old episode. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they put Kazar into the freezing chamber. And now we get a cut. And it's a little weird because there's no like elsewhere or nothing. It's just one panel. It's Kazar going to the freezing chamber. And next thing we see is a, a little prehensile tail there, and uh, it's pushing a, a little switch. So I guess that's uh, what's-his-face's tail. And then we get a cut to Zabu trying to wake up the bird guy. Yeah. Well, he's, like, pulling him out of the water. I think he saved him by pulling him oh, out yeah. of the water with his mouth. Yeah, because when I was just – I guess there is a meanwhile, but they put it way down in the bottom right corner. So uh, because when I was just flipping through the book getting uh, you know, shots for the YouTube video – I saw that tail and I didn't know what the hell that was. And I was like, what is going on here? I thought that was Zabu's tongue at first. <laughs> I'm like, what is oh. that? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the tail. That's the same tail that was, uh, yeah, strangling Kazar earlier. Yeah, he's using the tail to flip the switch on the freezing unit. But anyway, Zabu yeah. saves the bird guy. I can't remember this bird guy's name. We'll call him Daryl. Like Ruth or something like that? Like B-U-T-H, I think. <laughs> like Ruth, oh, yeah. but with a B. I have no idea. So, uh, but he's a green fellow and he's got wings. And again, he looks like Steve Gutenberg a little bit. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> the bird guy's thinking Zabu. He's like, hey, thanks for saving me there, buddy. Uh, we got to go uh, save him. And now we cut to uh, Shauna. The demons are getting her ready for her wedding. 
So that's kind of nice. It's kind of like a Cinderella situation, except instead of little mice, it's demons getting her. But that wasn't Cinderella. That was, was that Cinderella? Yeah. Yeah, that was Cinderella. Yep. Yep. Call. And uh, again, we see the amulet again around her neck. And uh, Belasco, he's uh, he's getting all friendly with her there. Little hands. Yeah. In. And then a little kiss on the neck there. Yeah, it's, it's creepy. And he walks her off into the shadows. I don't like the looks of that. Yeah, that's very uh, like the end of the 1989 Batman movie where the Joker's like bringing Vicky Vale up to the top of the like the tower, and Batman's got to like try to get there before something happens. Hey, but you know, uh, Batman didn't have to escape from a freezing chamber. That's what Kazar's got to do. <laughs> you know, Kazar's not exactly six Batman. He would have had to do that first. <laughs> would have been great too. Uh, but Kazar's not exactly dressed for freezing chamber. He's just got that furry loincloth on and some boots. <laughs> yeah. He's going on. So we could probably cut his way out with his nipples, like cut through the glass. <laughs> so he's pounded on the glass. Get me out of this freezing chamber. But uh, hey, that that robot guy who tore himself to bits, Dirk or whatever his name is, he hears him calling. He's like, "Oh, hey, maybe I can go help uh, Kazar." But you know, he's in bits and pieces now. But his hand comes to life, kind of like it and Adam's family. That hand that just walks on its own, you know. So uh, the hand crawls over to the freezing chamber. And this whole sequence is just terrible, I think. I don't know. But, like, because it was the problem I had with it was just have the, because then there's a, a part where, uh, Dirk says, oh, I can't see anymore. You got to tell me the, the hand where to go. And then, uh, Kazer's like, a little bit more hand, a little bit more. <laughs> Follow up the metal grain. <laughs> just, I don't know if we needed any of that. Just have the hand going for him. You know, whatever. But, <laughs> you so got to build suspense. I guess. So the hand crawls up the grating and it gets to the switch and he flips the switch. And, oh, thank God, Kazar's out of the freezing chamber. It's not the most miraculous escape when it's just this oh. hand flipping a switch. But, uh, you know, it's fine. Again, this Kazar guy does nothing. Everyone else is doing everything for him. And He's more used to fighting, like, you know, dinosaurs and stuff. Like demons <laughs> and all this. Robots. He, he's out of his element. I yeah, think. I'll say this is very odd, this book. It is not what I expected <laughs> at all from a Kazar book. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll get to that in the wrap-up, but... Very strange. So anyway, uh, Kazar says, hey, robot guy, he's all been torn to pieces. Hey, now it's time for me to give you a hand. And he gives his hand back or whatever. And uh, and Dirk says, no, you just go free Shauna or whatever. You know, I'm a dead robot now. There's no saving me. (laughs) I don't know. So he just leaves him there. (laughs) I think he does tell him, hey, come back for me later. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, robot guy. I'll be right back for you. And uh, Kazar's running through the caverns. And then he comes across uh, more demons, you know. But then there's all these other little fellas. These little, like, green alien guys. Yeah, this they must have set up in a prior issue because it comes out of nowhere here. These are the children of, what does he call them? Did they mention the name here? The children of Dis, D-I-S. So basically <laughs> they just pop up and insult you. They're the children of Dis. <laughs> no, yeah. these guys were like, there was a crew or something of uh, fellas who sailed to this region. Oh, with uh, Dante, I believe, maybe. And oh, like, okay. they were the, his his ship crew, and they got abducted and turned into these creatures or something. I think, I think that's kind of looks like the moloids. Yeah, just little green alien looking dudes with eyes, and they shoot lasers out of their eyes, and they start uh, zapping all the demons around Kazar. So they're helping yeah. Kazar out. They got like Superman eye blasts, and Kazar's like, "Hey, thanks, little fellows." Hey, I don't know. They they can't talk, I guess either. So they're no. just around. I think they just live underground there. They just constantly fight these demons. I guess they're protectors to prevent the demons from getting up to the surface world or something. Yeah. So now Kazor goes over. Give him a look like, you know, whatever. This is what we do all the time. 
You yeah. just get out of here. <laughs> this is our life now. And Kazar goes up and he finds Belasco and Shauna. They're having their little uh, wedding ceremony in front of this pit of lava or just really hot water, depending on how you look at it. Uh, he lifts the amulet off of Shauna there and he opens it up. Boom, there's the pentagram. There's just one bloodstone missing. So uh-huh. he has that bloodstone. He holds it up just like on the cover. And he's about to put it in the amulet. And then Kazar finally does something heroic. <laughs> what, what does he do, Jack? <laughs> well, he jumps at him with the knife again. Yes. <laughs> Still hasn't learned his lesson. It'll work this uh, time. <laughs> and then he gets attacked. The ground opens up underneath him. And here come a bunch of harpies. Oh, there's harpies. Uh, always with the harpies. And uh, so Blasco, meanwhile, has plenty of time. So he's like, yep, all right, put the stone in. Totally doing this. <laughs> but uh, then the green guy, uh, Booth, he shows up with all of his, you know, winged brethren. And they're like, oh, we got this. We can take on harpies. They got wings. We got wings. We got this. This kind of <laughs> reminds me of uh, uh, Jane Fonda. What was that movie? Yeah, Barbarella. I was thinking Barbarella. that yeah, 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 the, the whole time. Point, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's very similar. Like, it, yeah, just the kind of adventure. It's very felt a lot like that movie. So all the wind guys come in. They're fighting the demons, and Zabu comes in, and he's wrecking. He's telling, tearing these demons apart. Don't mess with Zabu. No. He gets his own backup story. That's how cool he yeah, is. Yeah, that's right. We do get a backup story for Zabu. <laughs> and there's a good interesting panel with uh, him putting the bloodstone into the amulet, and all kind of you know energies coming off or whatever. And then we see the old uh, gods, these demons, coming in. And it's like, uh-oh, yeah. there's trouble. And then we get a close-up of Shauna's rack. And uh, <laughs> we see Kazar diving to get, grab the amulet. Yeah, he's grabbing the amulet. And he, yeah. uh, he rips it off. And he does a somersault kick into Velasco's belly and uh, knocks him around. And then he takes the amulet and he says, hey, to hell with this amulet. And he throws it and all the blood uh, stones fall out of it. And uh, he throws it in like a pit, I guess. And boom, all kind of crazy stuff happens. And all the old, the, the portal to the old god that closes up. And Velasco's yelling and screaming. Like, wait, and, take me with you. Yeah. But what do they do to Velasco, Jake? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they like light him on fire and uh, <laughs> shooting off the cliff. And he falls down into, you know, a seemingly endless chasm. But and apparently he falls all the way to limbo. That's right. That's exactly right. He goes into that chasm, but it's into limbo. So the next time we see Belasco, he's in limbo. And that's a, that was a Chris Claremont creation there, right? He took all that. And yeah. I'm pretty sure. That was a smart move by him. And all the other demons just, like, uh, explode and whatnot. So now we're just left with uh, Kazar's holding Shauna and the bird guy and Zabu. You see their silhouettes. And this is it. That's how the book ends. So uh, they say, it's okay, Zabu. She's all right. We're all all right now. We're all all right now. Right? <laughs> like, are we? I wonder. That's a deep pit, Lord Kazar. A lot of places to hide, particularly for one whom the gods have made immortal. We shall see. We shall see. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Next, as long as we both shall live. I think they uh, they get engaged soon after this, and I believe Belasco shows back up in like issue twenty nine when uh, they get married. So he's he's yeah. still trying to get Shauna to be his wife <laughs> before she can marry Kazar again. So now we get a backstory with Zabu. We get an editor's yeah. note from uh, Louise Jones here, 
there's a there's a big full page printout of Zabu and Kazar right? Gil Kane. Tell it's uh, Gil Kane doing the art there. And mm-hmm. she she's given up an update on the publishing schedule for Kazar and how uh she said the next issue is going to be even bigger, so there's no room for a Zabu backstory next issue. I guess this is a recurring thing. They're warning ahead of time. I know you've been dying for another Zabu backup story, but you're going to have to wait till a month after. And then she's also uh, hyping up the Marvel Fanfare issue one, which contains a spectacular feature-length Angel and Spider-Man team up in, you guessed it, the Savage Land. Dun, dun, yeah, dun. that was a very famous Savage Land story as well, I think, yeah. Well, did, did that one involve Sauron, maybe? Or was he uh, could be. Sauron's like another. Always, yeah, he was frequently yeah. involved with the Savage Land, for sure. Yep. So, all right, so we get the big, uh, nice pin up there from uh, Gil Kane, and then we get Tales of Zabu. Yeah. And this is also Gil Kane in the art. Yeah. You can tell because this wolf looks a lot like that Wonder Dog. <laughs> Rex the Wonder Dog. Yep. Yeah. Anytime you need an animal story, get Gil Kane. (laughs) Only Bobo T. Chimp was here. (laughs) So, uh, would you like to tell the story of this uh, Zabu backstory? Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, So, we get, there's a dog here, I forget his name, Old Zaga. And he is just miserable. He's like, I don't know, this guy's got a lot of problems. He's got some kind of snout (laughs) infection or something. Yeah, he's got like a tooth problem. (laughs) Yeah. He's an old wolf or whatever. Yeah. yeah. His his wife has had to carry the load and get them food. And basically she has to chew his food for him because <laughs> his jaw is too weak to even, like, yeah. process food. So she has to chew it up and then he can kind of swallow it. Uh, but now he's got to be the breadwinner because she's got, you know, puppies at home. So he's got to go out and get the food. And uh, he is not happy about it. He's like, man, <laughs> I'm useless. What does she want from me? <laughs> yeah. yeah, this poor so, guy. He's yeah, he's in he's in the in the shit right now. And uh so he finds he's he finds this like bramble patch and uh he sees what he thinks is a dead saber toothed tiger cub in there. And he's like, Oh boy, look at this. I didn't <laughs> even have to wait for it. <laughs> Finally. So he uh he pulls him out of there, he's just like, I hope I don't get like a you know, thorn in the eye or something. Then he grabs it by the scruff of the neck and brings it home. He's like, oh, boy, my wife's going to be so happy. Look at me. I'm not a useless, limp dick, little <laughs> son of a gun. <laughs> He's like, oh, here, Donna, look, like, I brought you this 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 delicious food here. Now get chewing because I'm starving. <laughs> Chew yep. this up for me. <laughs> and she's like, it's not even dead yet. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like What? <laughs> And of course, that little tiger is a is a itty bitty Zabu. Zabu goes over and starts nursing on the mother with the other the two other cubs, and yeah. so they they take Zabu into their family. But the old wolf uh, fella, he's he's not happy about this at all. <laughs> he's like, <No>. what? <laughs> he's like <laughs> "That's my hungry. wife's bosom. <laughs> you get away from there." <laughs> but she I'm growls at, him. like, "Whatever, just yeah. let him do it." <laughs> So we got the three cubs there, and uh, there's a the one brother cub. Uh, he's kind of a jerk, and then the yeah. the other cub is kind of like the runt. He's a little fella, and the yeah, other brother always the, picks on him. Yep. Yeah. But Zabu likes the little fella. You know, they they're good buddies, mm-hmm. and uh, they hang out. But that other uh, the older brother, or not the older, but the bigger brother, he uh, he hates Zabu too. He's like, who the hell are you? You know, coming in here, <laughs> sucking on my mom's teeth. You know. <laughs> yeah. We don't want you around here. So there's a lot of sibling rivalry among the three cubs. 
And meanwhile, the old father guy, he's like, man, I should have ate that one. Well, why didn't I eat that guy? <laughs> why didn't I make sure he was dead? <laughs> but I guess I couldn't because my weak jaw wouldn't have done anything. But I infected snout. I could have found a gun. <laughs> so uh, the cubs grow up. You know, they're having a little adventures. They go out one day to, to fight an antelope or track down an antelope. Yeah, for finally, I think, supposed to go on the hunt themselves. Like, they're finally, like, oh, okay, you guys are old enough. Go, go get us some food. And Zabu like slips or something and he trips. And, uh, so when he recovers and he, he follows the antelope down, what's happened when he gets there though, Jack? Something happened when he was, uh, off uh, the pursuit. He gets up there to find that the antelope is dead, but so is the, uh, the runt one that he, he's been friends with. Uh, yeah. so apparently the older brother, the, the mean one, he killed both the antelope and the brother. And, uh, I don't know if his plan was to blame it on Zabu or what, but, uh, that's, that's so, the case, and he's not happy. So they they fight it out, they they battle over you know this this incident, and Zabu goes right for the throat, just takes him out, and bang. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Zabu gets revenge for his little buddy who died, yeah. but now Zabu is standing over the two dead brothers and a dead antelope just when mom and dad show up. It's yeah. like, oh man, <laughs> I didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh wow what a devastating afternoon for the those two parents they just yeah <laughs> just brought this kids random cub into our family and now he's killed our boys yeah <laughs> now uh, the mom i'm stuck with this old guy with the infected snout and the bad teeth and i don't even yeah. have uh, my kids and uh but zabu's like oh man sorry you know but hey uh you know they're, they can't really talk about it because you know they're, they're tigers and they can't talk so, uh, but he deep down Zabu knows that if he stays, he's going to have to fight them now too, you know? Yeah. The old man with the weak snout, I don't know what kind of, you know, battle that's going to be, but he's like, oh, if I take the old man out, then the, the mom will be sad and I don't want to cause her any more pain. So I'm just yeah. going to go. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The mom might've been pretty happy actually, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he kind of sucks. <laughs> she can start dating again. That old guy got <laughs> Right, so yeah, Zabu heads off on his own, no family, and uh, that's just quite the traumatic experience. Uh, yeah. But then we see the final panel. There's a shot of Zabu walking through the uh, tall grasses and whatnot, the jungle, and then we see like a uh, little image of a young Kevin Plunder, somewhere a little toe-headed boy is dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little Kevin Jank is dreaming of one day meeting Zabu. And it's like, oh, these two lives are going to come together at some point. Oh, yeah. Fate will bring them together. And that's pretty cute. It's a nice I little guess, story. Uh, that's where where Zabu learned to adopt creatures that are not of your species. I guess. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> raised by wolves. <laughs> ah, that is a nice little twist there. Yeah, so he, they they raised him, and now uh, he raises Kevin Ponder. Yeah, so that's something. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a nice little backup story. I enjoyed it. You know, that was uh, fun. It wasn't too long. It, it got to the point real quick. So, yeah, it's yeah. cool with that. All right. So there you go. That's Kazor the Savage, issue 12. All right, Cenk, the uh, writing here is by a fellow named Bruce Jones. Now, I had no knowledge of this guy whatsoever, but uh, you probably should. Yes, you have- I have okay. read something else that he written he wrote before. That's for sure. All right. Well, he was born in Missouri in 1946. That's something. He has 161 writing credits at Marvel including 16 issues of Conan the Barbarian in 1982-83. He wrote the first 27 issues of Kazar the Savage from 81 to 83. He wrote Call the Conqueror, issue 1, 1983. It's another series we've never done, Call the Conqueror. It's on my list somewhere. Uh, in 2003-2004, he did the Kingpin, issue 1 through 7. Is that like a limited series, or did Kingpin have his Yeah, own 
Yeah, that was a limited series, I think. I don't think it made it more than like eight issues, if anything. But I'm going to guess this is where you read his stuff. In 2002, yep. 2004, The Incredible Hulk, Volume 3, issues 34 to 76. Yeah, that's right. He was uh, a big run there after after a terrible run by, I think it was Paul Jenkins that I, I really didn't like. Uh, Bruce Jones kind of brought it back to, like, the old school, uh, you know, the Hulk was on the run and going from town to town. It was very, had that 70s feel, but kind of with more of an ongoing storyline as well. That's, they base certain parts of the, uh, that Hulk movie that Ed Norton was in, took some, took some uh, notes from that story. Cause there was like, he was talking to like Mr. Green. He was like Mr. Green and he was talking to somebody named Mr. Blue on the computer and stuff like that. That was from that era. All right. So yeah, it, it, it was okay. It's not my favorite, but after the Paul Jenkins thing, it was like I'll take anything that's better than this. <laughs> what was wrong with the uh, Jenkins area? Like, what were they doing there? Um, I think the main reason I hated it was he was the one who you know they had always done a thing, especially since like uh, right before Peter David took over, where there was three Hulks essentially. There's you got your Bruce Banner, you got the Green Hulk, you got the Gray Hulk. One's the, one's the id, one's the ego, one's the superego. And then they combined them all into one, and it's like, oh, this is the Professor Hulk. Well, Paul Jenkins came in and was like, no, that Professor Hulk wasn't really a combination of all three of them. It was a brand new personality. And turns out the Hulk actually has many personalities. Like, there's a whole wow. endless supply of personalities. Like, there's a clown Hulk, there's a oh, devil no. Hulk. Like, it's like, oh, God, no. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. You add that many things, it's never good. Just keep it simple. So, yeah, that was my main problem with that era. So, uh, Bruce Jones also worked at DC, 120 rating credits there. He did Vigilante Volume 2, 1 through 6, 2005, 2006. Nightwing, uh, issue 118 to 124 in 2006. Dead Man, issues 1 through 13, 2006, 2007. Man Bat, issues 1 through 5 in 2006. <laughs> Our buddy Man Bat came back. I got him another yeah. series. <laughs> and he did uh, The Warlord, Volume 3, 1 through 10, 2006, 2007. So uh, that's a long run there, apparently, other than the Hulk. Yeah, the Hulk was pretty much his longest run. Yeah. And then uh, Kazar the Savage, 27 issues yeah. on Kazar the Savage. So what would uh, you think of the writing here? Yeah, you mentioned earlier, like, the narration boxes. It, they were very prosy, like, uh, yeah. but, like literary kind of things. So, but yeah, I, I struggle with the dialogue in a lot of spots, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, the dialogue, I didn't, it didn't bump me because a lot of it was just ex, like expository dialogue. Yeah, Blasco that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. Backstory over and over again. But, uh, so it, it didn't have a lot of flair that like knocked me out or anything like that. But for the most part, I thought it was pretty solid. Um, I liked the kind of darkness of what happened to, to Booth and uh, the, the robot just ripping himself apart. Like this thing felt like it had real stakes, even though I think everybody makes it out okay, basically. But it felt like you know some some dark, weird things were happening. So I appreciated that point of it, and I did think the narration boxes were pretty good for the most part. I remember there being some that were kind of fun. So I th- overall, I mean, for a Kazar story, I thought this was pretty solid. <laughs> See, that's my problem with it is it didn't feel like a Kazar story to me because, again, he's fighting demons. There's a freezing right. chamber. Uh, there's a guy with wings flying around. I don't know. It just seemed like a, a, a big mess. <laughs> it seemed like a big mess. I don't know. There's a robot guy. 
I go, well, this isn't Kazar. What are we doing here? So well, you're uh, right. Very much Barbarella. So if you like yeah. Barbarella, I think you'll like this. <laughs> yeah, let's take uh, let's do Barbarella without the only thing worth watching in Barbarella with a Jane Fonda <laughs> in her little outfits. Let's take that out, and then here you go. Here's Kazar. Nah, yeah. not a not a good thing for. Yeah, so I didn't. I just didn't like the whole idea of this issue. <laughs> I don't know. Like, and then, uh, you know, I'll, I feel I'll like yeah. There's only pay. so many times he can fight Sauron or Craven the Hunter, I guess, before. <laughs> like out of villains for Kazar, unless you but start all the Dante stuff, stuff. Is just weird, right? Like uh, going back to the yeah. Divine Comedy and everything. What are we doing? I don't know. So I mean, I'm against it. It's certainly been done before, where they they call upon either real life historical figures or just real, you know, other literary works. It just seems strange in Kazar. I don't know. Maybe I, you know, that's a my problem, not a his problem. Maybe I just came in with the. Uh, expectations that were different than what I got. The old switcheroo <laughs> on me. Yeah. I, thought, I mean, if it was going to be this or Dino Riders, like, I would <laughs> rather be this. Like, at least I got some interesting stuff out of this. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't a fan. Wasn't a fan. Uh, the art here, Brent Anderson, we've uh, talked about him on the show a few times before. Probably most famous X-Men God Loves Man Kills graphic novel, 1983. That's his probably peak of Brent Anderson. And he did issues 1 through 15 and 18 and 19 of Kazar the Savage. And I think we discussed him in great detail. And he was nominated for a Flea Award for Strike Force Moratory, uh, issue 1. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did the first 9 and then 11 through 15 and 18 through 20. That was actually excellent, that book. And we did that a couple of years ago. That was 86, 88. So, uh, but any thoughts on uh, Brent Anderson? What else, do you know him from anything else? I just always think X Men, X Men. Yeah, that's, that's the main thing I, would, I think of. Yeah, um, and he did some X Men issues in there too. Um, a little handful yeah. of them, I think. Overall, I would say it was pretty good. Um, I liked it. Very heavy on the shadows for the most part, which was pretty cool. Makes it feel a little bit more, I don't know, a little more adult, I guess, than your typical comic book. Some of the, I mean, his. Propensity for drawing Steve Gutenberg's pretty great. I didn't really like his Kazar. I liked his Velasco and, uh, you know, Sean was fine or whatever. And I wasn't a huge fan of his demons. But his Kazar, he was like drawing muscles more than drawing a human body, it seemed like. Kazar was coming across like flat, you know, to me. But um, but overall, like the dark, the heavy inks and the shadows and everything, that was nice. Zabu like, I mean, he's drawing a lot of stuff in this book. You got so many different like races of demons and creatures and <laughs> moloids and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on in here. I thought it all, for the most part, looked pretty good. I got some cool of the action Zabu. shots his specialty, but yeah, that like his action seems stiff. Like, I think he does better when it's a posed shot or something. Yeah, um, he's not really dynamic the big or shots fluid. Velasco's face like look great, but maybe yes. there's punch not as much. Yeah, not exactly fluid in the movements there of the body. But uh, the Zabu stuff with Gil Kane was nice. I like that. All right, so there it is overall, Janko. What what do you think there, Kazar the Savage? Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to have to give it a seven. Um, oh. I think I would honestly read more of this. Yeah, I will go five right in the middle of the road because I did like some of the art. I didn't like the story or – like the story's fine <laughs> how trying to save Sean. I just – I don't know. I just – this isn't what I thought I was getting, the Kazar story. It's just not really what I want from a Kazar story. Sure. 
But I think uh, that's so why I like it is because if you're going to do a typical Kazar story where it's just him in the Savage Land, like I've seen that in other books like Spider Man and X Men and stuff, and it's like, eh, mm-hmm. that's never my favorite stuff in those books. So it's kind of like if you're doing something unique with Kazar, I'm going to be more into it. See, I'm exactly the other way. I've seen this demon stuff in other books, and uh, I don't want it in my Kazar. Like, keep your uh, chocolate out of my peanut butter. You know what I'm saying? Get it out of there. Uh, I want hot jungle action when I pick up a Kazar. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. So, That's fair. This isn't it. But all right, Jack, next week it's my pick, and I got us a winner. All right. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah we're go- promising something big. <laughs> we're going back to D.C. And yeah, your favorite. Cr- I know, it's crazy. I don't understand <laughs> that either. So I was actually researching a different book when I was flipping through it, and then I saw there was an ad, and it said, oh, the 10 best books of 1984, and it was just some goof wrote a column in some comic newsletter or whatever, and he had a top 10 list, and this book was on the top 10 list. And I was like, wow, I this sounds crazy. Why would this book be on the top 10 list? So I'm like, we got to check this out. So next week we will be doing Atari Force, issue 4, 1984. <laughs> Atari Force, Jank. <laughs> I have heard of this. No it's concept of what it's about. Yeah. It's like Other the big video game tie in, I guess. Yeah, the video game, Atari. I it seems weird, but it, so we'll get into the whole history of everything next week. But basically they have little comic books that you package with some Atari games or something. And but they this is completely different. This is like a different team. And this it kind of reminds me like of the Star Jammers or something, if I'm just looking at it from the outside. It seems like a superhero team that has space adventures and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be something. It will be. Atari Force, Jay. <laughs> Atari Force. <laughs> Issue four. So, yeah, all right. This will be great. It doesn't right. seem like there's any video game stuff in it at all. You know what I mean? Like they don't kind of like reference any of the games or anything. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. But when I was flipping through, it doesn't seem like that way. I was like, oh, there's probably Pitfall in here somewhere. Nope, no Pitfall, nothing like that. So, uh, (laughs) all right, so that'll be next week. Uh, Can't wait for that. And until then, uh, again, please like and subscribe on YouTube. So thanks to Jank, and until next week, don't get any Jank on you.